Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Storytime. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hmm. 
My unit and I were stationed at a training base in the Croatian National Forest. We were told that there had been sightings of this creature and it was very dangerous, so we were on guard for anything really. One night while driving with my navigator, I saw something very large go up in a tree about 100 to 150 yards from the road. My NCOIC also saw this and identified it as a cryptid. I didn't know what that was. I was too busy concentrating on driving in order to avoid hitting whatever it was because it happened so fast. I was convinced it was going to land right in the road, so I have no idea what kind of being it was. What we saw was a large, long, dark furred creature leapt from off a dirt road and into the middle of the road. It had been standing next to a tree just outside the wood line that runs parallel to this very desolate stretch of rural highway. It quickly leaps out of view from the road, off into the tree line, disappearing for good. At that point, I was just a young soldier at the time. It is the only cryptid sighting of my entire life. It had been a clear night with rain earlier that day, so visibility was good even into the woods that were about 20 to 50 yards from each side of this two-lane road. We stopped and got out to take a look around, but with no flashlight, we had no real idea of what direction to walk. To be honest, I was too freaked out to go into the woods for a closer look myself. We both said that whatever it was must have moved through very quickly and back off into the darkness. We did not hear anything past our own hearts racing. At this point, I've been in the army now for 23 years, and not much faces me anymore. The one thing that will always stick out in my mind was this encounter. I am a believer of UFOs, but when it comes to cryptids such as Bigfoot or whatever it was, if it leaves tracks you can find them, then I'm more than willing to believe it exists. Here's another story, I was at Fort Bragg. It was about 1 am. I was sitting on the ground outside waiting for a security checkpoint to clear when I heard something crashing through the trees just over my shoulder towards my right side. If you imagine yourself in that situation, then you have a good example of how I felt. I heard this crashing through the woods sound not more than 20 feet behind me, but there was nothing to be seen other than the trees shaking like crazy. When I turned around and looked, I saw something brown about the size of a small bear covered in fur with black hair all over its face. It kind of had a long tail and pointy ears and no hair on the very top of its face. I would say it was maybe no more than 200 pounds. I began to get very scared and started to pull out my pistol when this thing turned and saw me, ran back into the woods, and was now gone. I felt like it wasn't gonna hurt anybody and that I was safe, but if you saw this thing you would understand why I started reaching for my pistol. The whole encounter maybe lasted 5 to 10 seconds at most. The Texas highway stretched out before me, a ribbon of asphalt cutting through the barren landscape. I was on my usual route, hauling a load of logs to a remote rural town. The sun was starting to dip below the horizon, casting long shadows across the road. It was a lonely drive, but I was used to the solitude. It was just me, my trusty old truck, and the open road. As I drove along, the rhythmic hum of the engine and the monotonous scenery started to lull me into a sense of tranquility. I was lost in my thoughts, my mind wandering to everything and nothing all at once. 
but that peaceful reverie was abruptly shattered when I saw something that sent a jolt of adrenaline through my veins. Up ahead, in the middle of the road, stood a group of figures. My foot instinctively eased off the gas pedal as I squinted to get a better look. At first, I thought they were a pack of wild dogs, but as I drew closer, my blood turned to ice in my veins. These creatures were like no dogs I'd ever seen. They were bipedal, standing on their hind legs like humans. Their bodies were covered in mottled, coarse fur, and their eyes glowed a sinister shade of red. Their snouts were long and black, and their mouths were filled with rows of sharp, gleaming teeth. The most unnerving thing of all was that they seemed to be communicating with each other in a language that was anything but natural. It was guttural and otherworldly, like a symphony of discordant sounds. I honked my horn, hoping to scare them away, but instead of scattering, the pack of creatures dissolved into the shadows and started to converge on my truck. Panic surged through me, and I slammed on the gas pedal, my heart racing as I tried to speed past them. But they were faster than I could have ever imagined. One of them leapt onto the side of my truck, its claws scraping against the metal as it tried to pry open the door. Another slammed its massive body against my window, its red eyes boring into mine. They were relentless, their movements coordinated and calculated. It was as if they were working together with a single purpose, to get to me. I felt a surge of primal fear, my instincts taking over as I pushed the truck's accelerator to the floor. The engine roared to life, and the truck surged forward, tires screeching on the pavement. The creatures were still hot on my tail, their inhuman speed allowing them to keep up with my speeding truck. For what felt like an eternity, the pursuit continued. My heart hammered in my chest, and sweat poured down my brow. The howls and growls of the creatures echoed in my ears, drowning out all other sounds. But slowly, I began to gain some distance between us. The wind howled in my ears as I pushed the truck to its limits, praying that I could outrun whatever they were. And then, as suddenly as they had appeared, they stopped. I risked a glance in my rearview mirror and saw the creatures standing on the road, watching me with their glowing red eyes. And then, one by one, they began to fade into the darkness, disappearing as if they were never there. Relief flooded through me, and I let out a shaky breath that I hadn't realized I'd been holding. I pulled over to the side of the road, my heart still racing, my hands trembling on the steering wheel. I sat there for a moment, trying to process what had just happened. I knew that I had encountered something beyond explanation that night. Those creatures, whatever they were, were unlike anything I had ever encountered. As I drove the rest of the way to the rural town, the image of those glowing red eyes haunted me. And even though I made it out of that ordeal alive, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had come face to face with something ancient and otherworldly, something that should have never existed in the first place. It doesn't happen while hiking but it did happen late at night and it was near an area frequented by hikers. It is still the oddest and creepiest things that happened to me despite being 15 years ago. I was 19 at the time and was driving late at night in the desert. I was going around a bend when I noticed something sitting in the middle of road. When I was still not close enough for my headlights to reflect the object, 
So it looked like some sort of large cat sitting in the road eating something. Except, when I finally got close enough to actually see it, it was not just a cat, it looked like some sort of cat-human hybrid, human face with cat ears, eyes that glowed when it looked into my lights, long limbs, and patches of fur are the biggest things I remember. The thing immediately ran off on all fours when it noticed me. That messed me up for a while, I had heard stories of creatures that were mutated by radiation from government experiments back in the 40s, but had never really believed them. The job of Yosemite Park Ranger isn't what most people imagine. A lot of people picture us as law enforcement types, handing out tickets and enforcing park rules, when really that's a very niche aspect of it. Mostly we're just here to assist you. Handing out maps, not speeding tickets, and giving people directions to the best views or to ideal camping locations. We remind people about safety and weather conditions from day to day. But the main thing we do, and this is more vital than people realize, is that we're just here in case anyone gets lost or hurt. We deal with a lot of belligerent people who like to think the park is their personal playground where they can do whatever they want. It's my job to remind them to follow the rules. To dispose of their trash properly, to pick up after their dog and to clip its leash back on while walking the trails. Some people take this as a personal assault on their freedoms, when really I'm just looking out for the safety of other visitors, like cyclists and horseback riders who share the paths. Dogs can be unpredictable and can misbehave on trails, and we have to look out for everyone. Still, I don't often get a lot of positive feedback for enforcing the rules. Nobody likes to be told what to do, trust me, I get it. Every once in a while something interesting happens to break up the boredom and monotony of the job. Last summer I was walking around at night, doing a patrol of the campgrounds, when I saw something rustling around in the bushes. A guy came crawling out, dressed in a furry dog costume. I asked him if he was okay and he just barked happily, then crawled away in the opposite direction. Shortly afterwards, I saw him chasing another person who was dressed as a cat, a woman who went scampering away and hid beneath a camper van, laughing excitedly and making purring sounds, licking the dirt from her fur pants with a long tongue. She saw me watching and clawed the air in front of her face, hissing territorially. It's not how I would choose to spend my Friday nights, but I'm not one to judge. By far the most interesting thing which has ever happened to me at Yosemite occurred last summer. And it wasn't just interesting. It was utterly terrifying. Every night when I fall asleep I have nightmares about that day. Every time I close my eyes, I picture those dark tunnels in the rock face. It all started when someone called in a report saying they were out on the Cathedral Lake Trail when their brother went missing. The pair had been out hiking when they got separated somehow. At first we thought it was just a routine mishap. People go missing in Yosemite all the time. It's no big deal in most cases, since usually the missing parties are found quickly enough. Half the time alcohol is involved and I have to remind people to pace themselves if they indulge while camping. But every once in a while those missing people don't turn up, and we have to dispatch much larger search parties. In this case I went out on my own at first, heading to where the man had called us from. I drove out on an ATV, 
since it was a 16-mile round trip. When I got there, the guy looked frantic. He ran over to me and started speaking way too fast to understand. I told him to slow down, and just give me the facts. It's important to stay calm in these types of situations. The guy took a deep breath and let it out. Then he started talking again, a bit slower this time. We were walking on the trail. He was right beside me. Then I turned around to look at the lake and when I looked back he was gone. Just gone. I tried to get a sense if the man had been drinking or doing drugs. It's not that I'm trying to assume the worst in people, but we have to think of these types of things. The simplest explanation is usually the right one, after all. And it was much easier to imagine the two brothers taking sips from a Mickey and one of them getting separated and lost than to imagine one of them being abducted by aliens, or taken in a very selective rapture. Slow down for a second. Take some deep breaths. What's your name, let's start with that. Greg, he said, his face turning a shade less purple as he began to inhale air with trembling breaths in and out. Okay, Greg. I took out my notepad, jotting this down, along with his last name which I'll leave out for the sake of privacy. And what's your brother's name? Dave, he said, sniffling. I saw he had been crying recently. Where was the last place you saw your brother? Let's retrace your steps. He started protesting, saying that wasn't going to help, but I convinced him we had to at least try. Greg led me back a little ways to where he'd seen his brother last. I walked back here already. And I looked all around here before calling you guys. I thought maybe he went off the trail to take a leak and tripped, hit his head. Something like that, I don't know. I was grasping at straws. But I think something. He hesitated. Something what? I probed. Do you think something took him? Like those stories you hear about? He sounded embarrassed, but I tried to get more out of him, and asked him which stories he was talking about. You know. You hear stories about Yosemite and other national parks. I'm sure you've heard about them. Even if you're not in on the conspiracy. Stories where people go missing like this, and it makes no sense. Someone turns their back for a second and their son or their sister or whoever is just gone. Disappeared, like Dave. I saw it on YouTube. Aha, I replied, not sure what corner of the internet this guy had been visiting. Well, that doesn't happen around here, I can assure you. Let's keep looking, I'm sure he'll turn up. But the longer we looked, the less we found. It really did seem like the man's brother had just vanished. I was about to call in for more support, maybe even a K-9 unit, when the man yelled from a little ways off the trail, saying he'd found something. Following the sound of his voice, I eventually came to find him at the base of the mountain, face to face with the granite wall. At first I didn't understand what he was doing there, but as I got closer I saw there was actually a cave which was well hidden in the rock face. It blended in perfectly with the mountainside until you were almost nose to nose with the pale grey stone. Good job, I said, patting him on the shoulder. But then I looked at our surroundings, getting nervous. We were pretty far from the path, in the thick part of the forest which was overgrown and tangled with vines and shrubbery. Do you think he would have gone into this cave on his own? Greg looked around, as if checking to see if his brother had left a message for him. 
But there was nothing. I don't think so. It's not like him to just leave me on the trail alone, either. Especially not for this long. If this was a prank or something he'd have come back by now. I can tell something's not right. Has your brother played pranks on you like this before? I asked. The man was in his 20s, and his brother was probably of a similar age. Young men occasionally got lost or injured trying to scare each other by pulling pranks or filming videos in the woods. It was rare but it had happened before. Once or twice, he admitted. I didn't call you guys for a while because I thought he was messing with me. I wouldn't put it past him. But not for this long. I was getting annoyed. Mosquitoes were biting my neck and I was sweating in the heat of the afternoon, after marching through the foliage for hours. I imagined the guy hiding inside the cave trying to scare his younger brother. Maybe he had fallen asleep in his dark hiding place or he was just pushing it too far, but either way, I was upset. If this was a prank, it had wasted most of my afternoon. It probably annoyed me even more because I had my own older brother who had played tricks on me more than once in our younger days, and this was bringing back memories. Alright. You can come out of there right now, I yelled, marching into the cave, thinking the young man would be hiding in the small alcove. I turned a corner and saw a dark tunnel, leading deep into the darkest recesses of the granite. This made no sense. As far as I knew, there was no tunnel in this location. Especially not one of this size. But it had been well hidden. Nearly invisible in the rock face. I wondered if anyone knew about it. And I wondered if it was safe. I didn't feel comfortable going any further. The dark space looked like it went on for a long, long way into the distance, and I was getting an eerie feeling standing there. It felt like I could almost hear voices whispering from all around me. The words were lost in the echoing cave, and I got a strong sensation that we weren't alone, like icy fingers walking slowly up my spine. The other man came in behind me, marveling at the cave for a second before continuing to press forward. Come on, Greg said, forging ahead. He might be in trouble. He was anxious to keep going. Not scared enough of this horrifying place with whispering voices coming from the shadows and his apparent lack of fear made me twice as scared. I'm going back for help, I said, shuffling backwards. It isn't safe. Nobody knows we're here. My training and my instincts were overwhelming my curiosity, but Greg seemed not to care about the dangers. The man continued going forward, disappearing into the darkness. A few seconds later he was gone, and there was no indication he had ever existed in the first place. Greg? I called out into the black abyss. There was no response. He might as well have been a ghost. An overwhelming urge to follow him rushed over me, and I took a few steps forward, feeling hypnotized by that black tunnel leading on and on forever. But then I shook my head, slapping my face as I tried to wake myself up from whatever trance I was in which was overruling my common sense. I turned around and left the cave, my legs shaking and my hands unsteady as I called for assistance. After meeting the search party back at the trail, we went through the woods again to find the cave hiding within the 10,000 foot tall rock face of Cathedral Peak. But it was gone. I remembered having trouble finding it the first time, and thinking it was well hidden among the pale grey surface of the mountainside. 
you had to be nearly face to face with the wall to see it, since it was so invisible among the crags and boulders. I tried to tell my supervisor and the other members of the search party, but they didn't believe me. They said there was no tunnel there. They looked for hours and found nothing. Helicopters swept the area and more teams with more dogs, bloodhounds and German shepherds. But nothing was turned up. There was no trace of anyone else having been out there, except me. Dumbfounded for the rest of the week, and for the rest of the summer, I couldn't focus on anything. My mind kept going back to that conversation I'd had with the man on the trail named Greg. The man who'd lost his brother and then disappeared into a cave that didn't exist. More and more, I began to wonder what would have happened if I'd followed him. It took a full year for me to build up the courage to go back out to that exact spot again. It happened to be on the same date, and around the same time of day. Only this time, I wasn't on duty. It was my weekend off, so I had plenty of time to comb the area for clues. My backpack was full of provisions and I had enough to last for a night or two in the woods, maybe longer if necessary. Somehow I knew. I just had a feeling that if I went back on that day at that time it would be there. The cave that didn't exist. Cathedral Peak loomed above me, getting larger as I made my way through the forest, moving toward it. The grey clouds above were shrouding the sun in darkness, while the thickening canopy blocked any remaining light from overhead. A chill ran through me, causing me to shiver involuntarily as I laid eyes on the black hole in the rock face, so plain and clear to see now. Taking a step forward, I found myself standing right in front of it, and I reached up my hands to feel the outline of the entryway, as if to confirm it was real. It was. I took a deep breath, like a diver about to submerge, and went inside. The air was cold and damp, with a strange, coppery smell. My flashlight was on my belt and I grabbed it, but then decided not to turn it on. I was getting a strange feeling, like I was in an unsafe place, and needed to stay silent and hidden. There was a sound coming from up ahead which I couldn't place. It was a slurping, chewing sound. Like someone tearing meat from bones with their teeth. As I went deeper and deeper into the tunnel, the air became colder, and so damp that I felt droplets of water running down my face and into my eyes. A trickle of light was filtering in somewhere as well, causing the cavern to faintly glow in places. The air seemed to shimmer and dance in front of my eyes as I went deeper and deeper, feeling entranced as I stumbled along in the shadows. Faintly I realized that there was something wrong with me, as if I had been drugged, but I no longer cared. In fact, I found the sensation to be quite pleasant. And then I was abruptly awoken from my daydream as I came around a corner and saw the horror unfolding within the guts of Cathedral Peak. I can't possibly explain what I saw down there. And the shadows obscured most of it, drenching the monstrous creature in darkness. But the impression I got was of something like an octopus or a squid, crossbred with an oversized plant or a fungus, sucking and slurping, chewing and crunching something between its teeth. After a few moments of inspection, I realized it was a person's face that was being eaten, as the details could just barely be seen in the dim light of the cave. The skin was being stripped from its cheeks, the eyelids ripped off, and the lips peeled back and slurped up like noodles. Tentacles like tangled vines were everywhere, 
slithering and sliding across the pale grey stone floor all around me. At first I thought it was mud beneath my feet, but as I came fully to my senses I realized it was blood mingling and mixing with the dust beneath my feet, creating a dark, toxic red slurry which sucked at my boot heels. The tentacle vine things were everywhere, I realized with numb shock. My feet were actually stepping on some of them and I was amazed the creature hadn't noticed me yet. But it was obviously too caught up with whatever meal it was currently ingesting. Feeling very glad I hadn't turned on my flashlight, I began to back away very slowly, my boots crunching across the writhing tentacles. A sick knot in my stomach was rising up and threatening to make me puke, fear and revulsion twisting my gut. My mind was spinning and my thoughts were racing, understanding there was a very good chance I would never leave this place. I tried desperately not to step on any more of the squirming, writhing tentacles which moved and twisted on the floor of the cave, soaking and basking in the blood which had been spilled everywhere, like pigs rolling happily in the mud. There was no possible way there could be so much of it, I thought. No one person has this much blood. This is like a river. And then I saw the others. They were hanging suspended from the ceiling, from the walls, from everywhere. Amidst the purple, vine tentacles, they breathed in and out, still being kept alive, but just barely. Dozens of them were strung up and down the length of the cave, their chests rising and falling with weak breaths, but none of them opening their eyes or speaking. It was like they were sleeping. After a few long moments of searching, I found him. Greg. The hiker from the trail who was looking for his brother. He was hanging upside down from the wall just beside me, his eyes closed. Parts of him were missing, a piece of his cheek, part of his hand, but the wounds were slowly healing. The creature, whatever it was, kept its victims alive down there, I realized. It was ingesting them slowly, perhaps even using pieces of its other victims as nutrients to feed the ones who were dying of starvation, like an otherworldly pyramid scheme built of blood and human remains. Shaking that mental image away, I grabbed Greg's shoulder, hoping to wake him up quietly. His eyes shot open a second after I touched him, revealing only the whites, and he began to screech. And I don't mean screeching like he was screaming out of fear of pain or anything like that. This was an inhuman alarm cry which signified to me immediately that there was no shred of humanity left in him. He was now a part of the hive mind of the creature and its tentacle army. As his head turned on a swivel I saw smaller tentacles were wrapped around him, going into his brain and into his neck, invading his ears and eyes, and drilled into his spinal column. I screamed involuntarily, seeing these details, and heard the creature in the tunnel as it recognized my presence. It wasn't fast, whatever it was, but it was huge. The cave shook around me, dust and pebbles falling from the stone ceiling above as I backed away from the hiker. Beneath my feet the vines were suddenly moving quickly, sliding around so that I couldn't find my balance. As soon as my shoes found purchase on the stone floor beneath me, I began to run. The tunnel was alive all around me now, the whipping vines twisting and bending toward me, reaching out like greedy hands trying to grab me as I raced past. Looking over my shoulder, I saw the amorphous creature's central girth was finding its way through the cave and was moving my way a lot faster than I would have thought possible. But then again, 
I wouldn't have thought any of this was possible before living it. The light of the entryway was just up ahead, and I could smell the fresh air, and could see the sun. Then my feet suddenly slipped as if someone had pulled a rug out from under me and I went crashing to the ground face first. My jaw closed hard and bit the end of my tongue, causing it to bleed, the taste of copper filling my mouth a second later. I tried to get to my feet, the mental image of those poor, trapped people could be seen clearly in my mind's eye. In retrospect, I think the creature, whatever it was, needed us to be unsuspecting. If we were aware of what it was doing, its hypnosis wouldn't work. Maybe it was a chemical it released which caused people to want to explore the cave, a pheromone-like insects used to communicate. But it didn't work as well if you knew about it, and if you understood its purpose. It released some more of that pheromone or whatever chemical it was using to lure people in, and I actually felt my legs grow a bit heavier. My eyelids, too. It was like I had suddenly just worked three night shifts, and really needed to sleep. But then the wave of hypnosis passed and I felt the rumbling of the ground beneath me and that broke me from the trance again, causing me to scramble to my feet from the cave floor and run. As I neared the cave entrance and sprinted toward it, leaving my backpack far behind in an effort to lighten the load, I saw the rocks were actually closing in, tightening the gap. The entryway was shrinking somehow. It was the vines, I realized. They were what was camouflaging the entrance, their color changing to match the pale gray stone. I picked up my pace, the twisting forms beneath me making it even more difficult. I didn't dare risk a glance over my shoulder, feeling the rumbling of the floor and knowing that the bulk of the creature was just behind me, closing in. With the gap of the exit narrowing even further, shrinking to the size of a dartboard, I dove headfirst into it, imagining my face slamming into a sheer rock wall as it suddenly turned to stone right in front of me, sealing me in this dark labyrinth of suffering forever with the rest of these tortured souls. My eyes were squinted tightly shut as I felt the vines pulling and tearing at me as I went through the gap. For an instant they squeezed in around my midsection, threatening to stop me like Winnie the Pooh after an unfortunate attempt at pilfering honey when I popped out of the hole and it sealed up behind me in an instant. I heard a loud crash as the creature flew headlong into its own obstruction. The trap it had created for me to keep me there had hindered its escape, preventing it from chasing after me. I could hear it thrashing and clawing at the vines, desperate for more flesh to sustain itself. Whatever it was, it was growing too large even for its own control. Left alone to feed in the heart of the mountain, it would eventually destroy itself. It would consume its own flesh to sate its monstrous hunger, like a snake eating its own tail. I had a very strong suspicion that it was true. With that very specific idea in mind, I wandered back to my car. It was easier now without the backpack and all the gear. But the walk back to the cave would be harder. There would be lots to carry next time. After a trip to the hardware store, I went back out to the trail. It was nighttime now, and the place was abandoned. I borrowed one of the Ranger AT Versus and took my supplies out to the spot where the cave had been. After bringing a few buckets of water from the lake, I began my work. Since I had marked the cave, it was easy to find it again, and to begin laying down the fast-drying cement. As park rangers, 
Our job is usually to stop people from vandalizing mountains in this way, but I got the feeling Mother Nature would forgive me. It was my job to protect this place, and the people who visited. And nothing could protect people from this thing. It was best to seal it away forever, and let it slowly consume itself. Without a fresh supply of hikers, it would eventually run out of calories. It would eventually expire. It was only a matter of time. The vine tentacle squirmed beneath the layer of cement, groggily reaching out for me, trying to pull me in. I grabbed the trowel and slopped on another thick coating and watched as it rapidly began to dry. And the tentacles began to smooth out and settle down again, falling back asleep. That inhuman shriek could be heard from inside again, much louder this time. As if all of the hikers who the creature had abducted had all woken up at the same instant and for just a second, realized their predicament. Sorry, Greg, I muttered to myself, alone in the dark forest. I told you not to go in there. I ran into Bigfoot on the beach. I'd been a beach bum for a bit, haunting the shores of a coastal town. It wasn't a bad gig. I'd figured out how to live pretty comfortably and I was making more than I ever had in the string of dead-end jobs I'd been able to keep. Alcoholism is a harsh mistress but I figured out that if I stayed under the police radar and stayed out of the dope game people left me alone. I sold glass and macrame jewelry. Sitting on the beach in a wife beater and BDU cargo pants for most of that summer. I made the arrowheads from the bottoms of bottles. The little eccentrics were from broken arrowheads. Gauge the tourist, size them up and charge whatever I could. Once in a while a nice tourist girl would pick me up and I'd spend a night in a hotel. I mostly stayed by myself, I built a little lean-to out of driftwood and the California sun was warm enough I didn't really need a sleeping bag or anything. Wake up at 2 a.m., take three shots, wake up at 6 a.m., take three shots, then grab my blanket and wander back to where I was selling stuff. I'd drink sporadically during the day, then I'd retreat back to my little hideaway and get shithammered. I was wandering back to my hideaway one night. My hair was braided up and I had a cigarette in one hand and a bottle of bourbon in the other. The bag thrown casually over my shoulder had a couple of perch and some urchins in it. My money was mostly for booze after all. The thing wandered out of the ocean and looked at me. I looked back. It stood about seven feet tall, its eyes were bulbous and it had a very obvious fishy flare to it. I put the cigarette in my mouth and reached down to the knife on my belt. I'm not much of a boxer or a wrestler, but I could scrap and I don't spook easily. We made baleful eye contact for a bit and then it turned around and walked back into the waves. I kept walking unsnapping the sheath on my knife but otherwise a bit unfazed. Find a fatalistic, homeless alcoholic and I'll show you someone who really doesn't give a damn. I started the fire back at my little lean-to and cracked the urchin with a couple of spoons. I should have stolen some lemon too, but urchin aren't bad eating anyways. I tossed the shells into the waves while I gutted the perch and cooked them. I proceeded to kill the bottle of bourbon and retrieve the cheap handle of vodka from inside the lean-to. No one really bothered me, I'd had some trouble with a group of tweakers when I first got down here. Got my ass kicked pretty good, but I'd also managed to put two of the group in the hospital before I limped away. 
I was a hard target, I really had nothing, I wasn't in their game, and I left them alone as long as they didn't bother me. The one who'd gotten the worst of it had lost an eye during the brawl. The cops never questioned me about it, truth was that no one gave a shit. I'd sometimes turn and find him watching me and I'd always give him the finger and keep going. He knew better than to screw with my camp. I chucked the bits of perch I didn't eat into the waves. Just letting them roll out with the tide, I was pretty sure I saw a scaled hand grab at the spine of one but I decided I was just drunk. Now, there's something a lot of people don't talk about. The missing women get a lot of attention but the missing men don't. And trust me, a lot of us disappear out there. Sometimes we just skip town without telling anyone. Sometimes a fight gets lethal and there's no one to look. That doesn't account for all of them though, and I'd seen a number in my time. I'd heard that there were a lot of them out here, but it never bothered me. It was a tourist town, after all, and a lot of people would just move on. I was less scared than you'd think by the giant fishy thing. You spend enough time on the road and in the woods and sooner or later you realize that there are some weird little cracks in the world. Don't act like you're in a horror movie and glimpses are mostly what you get. The quiet places of the earth don't abide by the same rules, the gods of the roads rule the long expanses between towns and mother nature is one hell of a weird bitch. I'd develop some superstitions. Black dogs mostly. That's another story. Like I said, don't get too close. Don't investigate. Leave the weird to itself and it leaves you to yourself. That's life out here. A lot of home bums don't get it, but travelers? We see a lot and there's really no talking about it with normal people since. Let's face it, most of us have some pretty serious issues with addiction and mental illness. I went to sleep on my blanket and woke up at 2 a.m. like usual. Physical addiction to alcohol doesn't abide by what hours you want to sleep, you just deal with it. I took a shaky shot and watched the quiet waves lap up the shore then took another two back to back and lit a cigarette. It wasn't the best life, but it was a good one. You'd be surprised at how many of the downfalls of alcoholism come from other people. The thing emerged again, walking alongside my campsite and looking at the glowing embers of the fire. I tossed a piece of driftwood on, watching it flare up so I could get a better look at it. Curiosity got the better of me. Again. I regretted the decision almost immediately. It was scaled from head to toe, clawed as well. It had big teeth. Its eyes were the worst part, bulbous and fish-like with a hint of cunning. I took the bottle of vodka to my mouth and two long swallows. You may as well sit down, I said motioning to a thick trunk I dragged near the fire, if you're looking to scare me, you did it already. It looked at me and I repeated the gesture. The fish Bigfoot thing sat down across the fire from me. I turned around and grabbed my rucksack, figuring I'd break bread with it. I found the jerky and offered it a piece. It reached out and took it and threw it in its mouth. Might want to chew that, big boy, I said as it made some sputtering noises. I gestured at my mouth and mimed chewing, it reached into its enormous maw and pulled the chunk of jerky forward and tried its best to chew. The pointed teeth shredded and tore at it for a while, guess you don't really have the right equipment for it. I took another long pull on the bottle. It gestured at the bottle and I looked at it through the side of my eye. Why the hell not? 
Careful with that, I said, making a gesture for a small amount with my right hand, poquito, you know? I handed the bottle over and Fish Bigfoot took a short amount of it. It looked at me like I'd betrayed it and handed the bottle back. It ain't for everyone, I told it flatly, this is a professional drink, I chuckled and it mimicked me until we were both outright laughing. It sounded more like a frog than anything, but it was decent company. I was a couple of miles out of town and it was pretty rare that anyone came out to my camp other than the sheriff who checked up on me once in a while. I sat there, just kind of having a one-sided conversation with it until the sun came up. As soon as the first rays of the sun started showing it stood up, I waved at it and it waved back. It walked back into the tide. Things went like that for a few nights. One-sided, drunk conversations with fish Bigfoot. It seemed to like me. At least enough it brought me a thresher shark, although it seemed a bit offended when I cooked my portion. My days got a bit dark though. My life? It wasn't bad. I was free to be me, which mostly meant drunk and alone. That's not how it goes for everyone out there. Old one I had been stalking me for a while but was gone all of a sudden. I met a teenage runaway. I tried to convince her to go home, but whatever she was running from was worse than life out here. At the very least, I told her, stay away from the dope. Pretty soon she was running around with the tweakers who kept camp closer to town. She'd come and talk to me during the day and I watched the pretty little thing lose weight and start acting oddly. I knew this game. I was a drunk. Not a hero. Just a scrappy loner, albeit I was apparently some kind of fish Bigfoot whisperer. Playing hero. Well it goes badly. I'd done it a few times, and right now I just kind of absorbed the sad and watched. I'd been chilling with fish Bigfoot, whom I was now calling Henry, for three weeks. The weird was lessening quite a bit, we'd managed some rudimentary two-way communication. He liked fish, bugged me for jerky, and after some amount of experimentation it turns out Henry was a big fan of tequila. I had enough spare cash that it wasn't a big deal, but he drank like, well, a 7-foot tall, 300-pound fish Bigfoot. He even brought a friend a couple of times. Henry was pretty damn big for his race as far as I could tell, he towered over most of the other ones he brought. So one night when I heard stirring by the fire I sat up and saw Henry standing there with a serious look on his face. Bared teeth, the fin on his head raised. For a split second I thought he was going to eat me. He didn't, he motioned for me to follow him. When I got up he looked at me doubtfully and then pointed at my knife. I took the hint and strapped it onto my belt, stopping long enough to grab my bourbon and smokes as well. I offered him the tequila bottle but he waved it away. He began moving down the beach and I followed him. We'd made it about a half mile when I heard the screams. I quickened my pace to a solid run, chucking the cigarette to the side. Ahead of me Henry began moving quickly, he stopped suddenly when we were near the sources and motioned at himself in the trees. I didn't like the scene I came upon. One I had a knife in his hand, standing above the runaway that had been talking to me. The others stood around, all shirtless and painted with various symbols. I don't play hero, I told myself softly. I took a long swig of the bourbon and pulled the knife. I don't play hero. 
I charged in without really spending a whole lot more time thinking about it. Not a hero, just doing what needed to be done. The girl had been cut up already. I ran directly into one eye before he could plunge the knife. You mother f, he said to me as we bowled over. I slashed at him with the big combat knife, laying open his cheek underneath the dead eye. Someone grabbed me from behind and I felt a knife slice at my left arm. I tore free and spun, slashing at the other one. They circled me and I stood over the girl, watching the sides and turning in a slow circle. A half dozen of them close. Another four hanging back. For the first time since I'd left the woods all those years ago I really wished I'd had a gone. The first one leapt towards me and I swept to the side and stuck forward with the knife. He missed me, and a moment afterwards I realized he'd been aiming for the bound girl. The hilt hit his stomach. Cutting people up is a grisly business, a slash here and there is one thing but sticking it in their guts? You can smell it. There were two dead aggressors in my past. As I pulled the knife free with a twist I assumed it was now three. I figured I could handle two more before I got cut. Or I could let them have the girl and run. I'm no hero I told myself. I caught a blow aimed at the girl with my left forearm, feeling the knife dig deep. I snapped in a way I hadn't since I'd been in the woods that weren't woods all those years ago. I tore into them, catching blows aimed at the girl. Blood mixed, I wasn't sure whose was whose within seconds. I knew I was getting fainter and weaker by the second. A blow came for the girl, struck her stomach and she screamed and twisted against her binds. I fell to my knees, sure I was going to be dead soon. Henry suddenly came running into the circle. It worked. When I screamed. I took the opportunity to use the last of my strength, reaching for him with my knife. I struck home, dragging it outward and to the right. Henry tore into the tweakers. Fish Bigfoot was on my side. What I'd been doing was gruesome, his attacks were overkill. He ripped off limbs with ease and bit off heads. For my part I hammered on one eye with the butt of my knife until he was an unrecognizable mess. Two more of them came out of the waves. They began dragging the bodies back into the sea as I sat there, exhausted. Henry moved toward the girl after all of the bodies were gone and I tried to stand and get myself in the way. He held me up then bent down to untie the girl. For my part, I finally collapsed. When I woke up, Henry was gone and the cops were there. I left town two days later, richer for my experience with fish Bigfoot Henry. I'll always say it's not time to be curious when the weird shows up, but I think my life is richer for the time I spent with Henry. I'm in the desert now, but someday I want to go back and see if he'll drink some tequila with me and we can enjoy the beach like the good old days. It's time for a light supernatural story. Not so much of a hiking though, it was a survival test for joining a mountaineering club in my campus. There were 20-ish of us including myself, in the middle of the woods, with our foods were confiscated by the recruitment commit so that we needed to find natural foods from nature such as fruit, especially banana, edible plants, or even locust or snake if lucky. Miserable test, but valuable experience indeed. One day, it was raining so hard in the afternoon and all of our five groups hadn't finished set up our group bivouacs. 
We intentionally set them near each other so we could check everyone instantly something is going wrong. No one was talking or chatting to each other, it was only given by our soaked clothes and empty stomachs, when suddenly all of us heard a hysterical woman scream. And five seconds surprised woman scream. Everyone heard it and the scream was so close and loud, we all thought it was one of us screaming because of snake or something. So naturally, the boys jolted instantly to a bivouac we thought was the source of the scream. No girls were crouching or standing up as we imagined. All of us stared at each other, especially the girls as we thought one of them was pulling a prank on us to surprise us. No one claimed the scream nor admitted that it was her joke, everyone looked equally shocked. After minutes of investigating the girls, we then went back to our respective groups with an unanswered incident, even after the recruitment process was finished and we went back to civilization. After we officially members of the club, we shared that story to our seniors and it turns out, the place my batch used to set bivouacs was the first time to be used in five years. And the last batch used that part of the woods experienced the exact screaming incident, also without any logical explanation, and they chose to base that incident as their batch name Forest Cry. I'm genuinely concerned for my mental well-being after a recent unsettling incident in my home. I've considered sharing my experience in a post, both here and on our mental health. However, I'm hesitant about the latter, as I fear some might rush to diagnose me with conditions like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. Up until now, I haven't displayed any signs of mental instability or depression, apart from a brief period of sadness about external issues that occurred several years ago and left no lasting effects. I'm currently in my 20s, attending university, and the past few years have generally been quite positive, with some good news regarding my career and relationship. I apologize for the lengthy introduction, but I wanted to provide context and convey the shock I'm currently experiencing. I recently witnessed unexplainable activity, and since the only response I've received from those close to me is you're crazy, I'm seeking others who may have had similar experiences or insights. Here's what happened, it was around 11pm, and I had just returned home from a choir session. While I wasn't particularly tired, I was eager to relax in bed and catch up on a Netflix series I had been looking forward to. I hurriedly made my way home without paying much attention to my surroundings. It wasn't until I stood in front of my door that I realized it was wide open. I live in an area where it's customary to leave doors open until late at night or until every family member is home. It's a close-knit village where everyone knows each other, and each home is enclosed by fences with a garden, making it easy to spot any potential intruders from a window. Returning to the story, I reached inside the entrance to trigger the light sensor and adjust the triangular device, I'm not sure of the English term for it, that my family uses to prop the door open. However, the entrance and the stairs leading to the apartments remained in darkness. Despite my eyes being accustomed to the darkness, I noticed that the door to my family's apartment was also wide open at the end of the few steps in front of me. This situation unnerved me, but what happened next was even more unsettling. I suddenly felt extremely dizzy, as if I were intoxicated and I stumbled backward outside, losing my balance on the doorstep. That's when I saw it, 
a figure emerging from my apartment, standing before me for a few moments, and then ascending another set of stairs. The figure had long hair, but I couldn't discern any other details due to its black silhouette. Its movements were peculiar, as if its legs weren't moving normally but instead sliding up the steps. My stomach churned with fear. I became convinced that there were intruders in my house, and I grew increasingly worried for my brother, who lived in the apartment above mine and was at home that night. I was afraid that the intruders might catch him off guard. In a state of panic, I backed away from the house and rushed to the gate, frantically ringing my brother's doorbell. He answered shortly after, asking if I had forgotten my keys. I hesitated for a few seconds, unsure of what to say. Finally, I asked if our parents were home. They were not. I inquired if he had friends over. He replied in the negative. I cautiously returned to the entrance and listened for any sounds, but there was nothing. A few minutes later, my cat approached me, seeking attention, and then entered the house. Strangely, the lights on the stairs immediately came on. I stood in my garden for a while, feeling bewildered, frightened, and on the verge of fainting. I was sweating profusely. Summoning my courage, I entered the house, clutching my keys as a makeshift defense. I reached my brother's floor without encountering anyone or anything unusual. I peeked inside and, upon seeing my brother's family on the couch, simply bid them good night. I rushed down to my own apartment, locked the door, and meticulously checked every room. That night, I cried intensely because, for a brief moment, I genuinely believed there was an intruder. I was scared and confused. I still have no idea what actually transpired, and each attempt to rationalize it leaves me even more perplexed. I hope to receive feedback and am willing to answer questions, as long as they're not too personal. I kindly request that only serious comments be shared, as I'm genuinely concerned. Thank you. It was a few years ago but I was camping near a beach with some friends for a couple days and one night, God knows what I was thinking, I decided to go for a walk by myself well after 12 in the middle of January. While I was hiking through the woods, toward the beach, I kept hearing some sort of humming, strumming sound but didn't think much of it so I pressed on. As I kept going deer were running my direction and I guess didn't see me or didn't care because they kept getting real close and started to freak me out, but I stupidly kept going. Eventually the humming sound got louder and I started to see what I assumed was a lantern and figured it was some other camper so I tried to quiet myself as much as I could and go around their clearing. As I got closer I learned that I was so wrong. The lantern I saw was a bonfire roughly the size of a car and the humming was about 20 to 30 half-naked old people rubbing some kind of powder on their chests and foreheads. They were all dancing? Around the fire and humming, chanting while one of them just strummed the same three chords on a broken-looking guitar. Needless to say I was spooked to all hell so I started to backpedal as slowly and quietly as I could. When one of them, an older guy with some feathery necklace, looks right at me, waves, and says, oh hey there young fella, why don't you come join us and warm up a bit? I'm sure you're cold with just that jacket. Let the flames and ash show you the warmth nature has provided for us tonight. 
I ran my ass as fast as I could through the woods and I made sure to take as many detours as I could before going back to camp because I swear I heard them following me. I know they called out after me while I was running. The second I got back I pulled out our hatchet and woke up the other guys just in case. They didn't believe me at first but eventually they did and none have slept the rest of the night. We did end up seeing them the next day and I can add that story if people request it but anyway, thanks for reading. Part 2, since my odd late night adventure got me, and everyone else, pretty spooked we decided to move our campsite further away from the clearing where I saw all the weird shit and closer to one of the rocky outcoves by the beach. It must have been around 5 or so because we could start to see the sunrise so we figured that would be the best time to pack up and move. Traveling to the water was fine, we didn't hear anything but we did come across some ash piles close to where we were camping and used them to direct ourselves the opposite direction. Eventually we made our way to the cove and set up camp around some boulders and a washed up canoe. While we setting up we heard some twigs snapping and hoped it was just deer making their way through the woods. But of course it wasn't, the sound was too consistent to be more than a couple deer. It was the old people. I immediately hid down behind the boulders and peeked through the brush while most of my friends did the same or hid under the canoe. I watched the old people as closely as I could without getting spotted this time, and didn't see anything too interesting other than some kind of ceremony they held. Now I don't know what religion it was but they all stood in a line in front of the older guy from the last post. The older guy had a picture frame next to him with, what I assume was, another older person in the photo couldn't tell 100% from where I was. The older guy was holding a bowl of ashes and each person in line held either a flower, feather, or large leaf. Each person would take turns going up to the older guy with their object. The older guy would then take it, dip it in the ashes, rub it on their faces, mouths, chests, and hands before giving it back to them. After each person received their object, they would walk a few feet and stand in the sunlight motionless until every other person had done the same. None of them would sit, none of them would move. They just stood there. Eventually when the older guy did the same to himself he stood in front of them, with his back turned to them, and slowly lifted his arms like the Dark Souls guy. Each of the other old people did the same and after a couple minutes, each person proceeded to put their blessed object in their mouth or hair but most preferred the prior. My friends and I must have spent an hour or two watching them do this until they all started walking back into the woods silently. We still don't know what they were doing but we like to look back and laugh on how weird it was. Didn't actually see anything, and I'm really glad I didn't. A friend and I had started walking a trail system that leads deep through some woods and fields by his house around dusk. During the day it's really peaceful and green and whatnot, but it was late and it was getting dark fast. The area we live in has been flooding recently and the trail is currently two feet underwater about halfway through the loop, but my friend said we could walk to that point and then take a shortcut back to the beginning through one of those man-made pine forests where the trees are all perfectly lined and spaced apart. We only had to go about 50 feet into the pines before the canopy made it pitch black all around us, but he knows the area so we kept going. About a hundred feet further and we both hear a very distinctive squeaky door noise. Like, 
literally no chance of it being anything other than old rusty hinges. He's come through here 20 times in the past few weeks while jogging during the day and confirms that he's never seen any type of building or anything with a door back here. We both decided that we'd rather just walk the trail back the way we came in than deal with whatever horror movie shit was happening in there. I've never noped out of a situation faster than I did then. So moved into a brand new house. Land was an old farm, and since we have moved in we have had odd things happen. First thing I've noticed it's some items being moved, like put the remote down on the table and come back to it. And it's moved to the middle on the baby monitor we see orbs at night that just disappear in front of the camera. I walked past the door and saw something stood in the hallway so walked back only to see the dog staring into the hallway. As if she's looking at someone. My Alexa speaker responding to someone asking it for music. This has happened several times. However today I was on my own in the lounge, the device was in the kitchen. Baby is asleep nobody else in the house, the Alexa sparked to life and said playing something stupid by Robbie Williams on Amazon Music. Now I freaked out like how's this switched on? I've checked with my partner and she's not done it remotely. And if she did it would have gone straight to play musics and not said now playing. I've checked my ring camera and nothing has triggered. I've then checked the Alexa voice recorder and you can hear a very faint almost distant voice saying the song. I don't recognize the voice. The other thing to note is my phone battery went from 81% moment before this happened to 21% after this happened. What do you guys think? Approximately three times a month, with occasional fluctuations, I experience a pronounced energy presence in my room. This sensation often triggers my cat to vocalize and act as though it's observing an unseen entity, although this behavior typically subsides shortly afterward. These occurrences have repeated multiple times. Furthermore, during nighttime, I frequently encounter a peculiar sensation of a small hand touching my waist. I also perceive the feeling of someone walking on my bed, accompanied by a distinct sense of pressure on the mattress and a heightened energy ambience in the room. I'm left wondering about the nature of these experiences, could they be indicative of a benevolent spirit, a malevolent entity, or even the possibility of extraterrestrial involvement? Basically I'm doing what a normal person would do around this time I'm asleep and well suddenly I'm woken up by two loud knocks that sound human on my window please note that my window looks out onto an enclosed and locked in back patio therefore nothing should be able to access it but anyways here I am I'm startled af and too freaked out to look eventually after about 3 minutes I decide to go look as I need to plug back in my stuff as this was right after a thunderstorm and well when I look out there's absolutely nothing there no signs of anything at all and well in the morning I went to the other side of my window to find absolutely nothing no back door unlocked no signs of activity absolutely nothing and well after this I decided to pull out my phone and type this out in an attempt to debunk this, really sorry if this was confusing. About a year ago, my significant other and I decided to go camping. After she told me she'd never been before. 
Well this former boy scout found a spot, packed his pack, and decided to give her the camping trip of a lifetime. We got to the site, left the envelope with cash for the overnight fee at the empty cabin, and drove into the woods. There were sights all along the paths, but some were taken. Seeing as she wanted to be as removed as possible, we decided to turn left and go up a steep incline to see if there were sights at the top. Well, what I saw will haunt me till the day I die. Not more than 10 feet in front of the car, after I slam the brakes, is a giant black bear, on its hind legs and looking straight at us. No one blinks. After a minute, he gets down in a huff, turns around, and scampers off. A few minutes after that, my significant other and I break out in screams of terror and floor it back to the edge of the campsite. Fast forward to that night, we'd settled down a bit from our encounter, and prepared to go to sleep. We'd chosen a site right next to a stream, so as to have it lull us to sleep. Big mistake. We're both cuddling and falling asleep, when suddenly, we hear a splash in the stream. We both bolt upright, both thinking of the same animal that we are now realizing might be thirsty and nearby. Our car is parked just 20 feet from the tent, and we consider making a sprint for it before hear another few splashes in the water, followed by a grunt. Well, if the splashing didn't do it, the noise did. Eager to make a ruckus, I sound the alarms on my car and scream F you as loud as I can. We then nope the F out of the tent, dive into the car, and drive off, leaving everything behind. We drove around for about 10 minutes of terror after that, plotting next moves and discussing our certainty of having just avoided death. Eventually, we decide to return to the campsite, throw everything into the trunk as fast as humanly as possible, and yeet it to the open road. We then went back to my house, reset up the tent in our fenced-in backyard right behind the porch, and went to sleep. Late to the party, so this will probably get buried, but. Many years ago, a friend stopped by from out of town and brought a hefty dose of LSD with them. Beautiful summer night, so we drop a few tabs and decide to go for a hike. A half mile from my house is a river with a trail leading through the woods to a cemetery. In high school there were always stories of Satan worshippers using this cemetery and tales of a witch's grave. There are also creepy-ass cairns, spaced out in the woods behind the cemetery. I've walked through the place many times and never seen anything suspicious, just a peaceful place to spend some time. I found the supposed witch's grave, though. Just another grave to me. Anyway, heads full of acid, we're heading up the narrow path leading to the cemetery in the dark when out of nowhere like eight hooded figures walk past us in the opposite direction. We never heard them coming, one second they're there, the next they're gone. They don't look at us or say anything, just walk past with their heads down. My buddy and I give each other the old what the f? Look, shrug and continue on. We make our way through the woods into the cemetery. Start to peek. It's fully dark now, and we're walking down one of the side paths trying to find the witch's grave which is proving difficult considering the trip and the darkness. Suddenly, a hundred feet or so ahead of us, multiple lights spring into being, maybe a dozen of them, and just hover. We stop immediately and look at each other, 
confirm that we're both seeing this and it's not just a hallucination. And then, as we're watching, freak the F out, they very abruptly scatter in all directions, disappearing into the cemetery. Time to go. We do an about face and start double timing it toward my place, keeping our heads on a swivel. For the first couple minutes Therese nothing. Then, randomly off in the woods we'd see a single light flash on, only to disappear seconds later. Then a few more. Sounds of running and heavy breathing are coming from the woods. They're all around us. We're walking faster and faster, no longer giving a F about what's happening, just wanting to get away. I'm trying to think through the acid, but all I can come up with is that the Satan worshippers have summoned the alien overlords, and I'm pretty sure we're going to be sacrificed to them at any moment. We turn down the final path out of the cemetery, I can see the gates and the street beyond, and I start thinking we might actually make it out. Then a dark hooded figure steps out from behind a mausoleum to our left, and a brilliant light blinds us. It's a man. In a solemn, deadly calm voice he says, you're it. We're frozen. No idea how to proceed. Finally my buddy stutters. What? You're not with us, are you? The man replies. Uh, no man, we're not with you. He lowers his hood. It's a kid. Like a teenager, but still, just a kid. Turns out he's playing flashlight tag with his buddies. He apologizes in his manly voice for bothering us, turns off his light, and runs back into the cemetery to rejoin his friends. So yeah, that was a fun night.